And the part about the cows, uh, he told me about this at brunch and I was just completely blown away. It's like these baby cows who have never seen a barbed wire fence are terrified. How? How? That was my, I think I've told that story like five times since the interview (laughs) because I, again, for me, I was like, guys, this is amazing. Like this could be, you know what it is? Because things like that prove it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Core Self Podcast. I'm Mona Band. And I'm Chloe Flower. Babe, what's up? I am just over here hibernating because I have a laser, as you can see. Oh my God, but you still look amazing. You know, I just love a little refresh. There's something really fun about downtime. Do you agree? All I want right now is downtime. Right? It's like, oh, sorry, got a laser. Can't see anyone for five days. Let me just get all the things done I have to get done. And I'm so excited to be like not busy. Like this week... I have done nothing. Right. Amazing. So I'm very happy about that. I'm just so excited that, you know, we got to do this with Deepak because he's such an inspiration. Hailed by Time Magazine as the poet prophet of alternative medicine, Deepak Chopra is the founder of the Chopra Center for Wellbeing. Born and raised in India, where his father was a leading physician, he came to the United States for advanced medical training. After practicing medicine in Boston, he embarked on a mission to promote wellness through alternative medicine, meditation, and consciousness. Plus, he has written over 90 books with his most recent book, Living in the Light, Yoga for Self-Realization, available now. And Chloe, you're lucky enough to actually call him your friend who can say that. (laughs) So good. This interview was so good, but it was a little interesting because there was a little traffic situation happening in New York this day. Joe Biden decided to come to our recording location that day. President Biden, this was a little inconvenient for us, but we forgive you. So Everybody was late and Chloe actually had to go because you were going to D.C. Yes, I was going to D.C. actually to meet up for an event with Amanda Nguyen. Yeah, so Chloe had to leave and then I had to do the interview on my own. But what we're going to do is break it up into sections and both react because it is very deep. I'm so excited that you got to sit with Deepak because I have this amazing ability to talk to him about things like have asked questions and now we can share those questions that we have with you all. Yeah, like maybe it was serendipitous because you get to just text him and meet him for brunch like you did two weeks ago. But I get to just ask him the questions in the interview. I even said that in the interview. I was like, I'm kind of excited because selfishly, I get all my questions in right now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And he's just really, uh, he's just like an amazing, he's like, even like when he just speaks, his, his voice is so calming. I think he's a perfect example of he really is the real deal. He is. And it's so apparent when you meet him and you're in his presence, you just feel this calmness. Yeah. And oh God, you can feel it through the interview. But it's really real, you guys. So Energy is real, guys. Energy is real. <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, let's get into the most calm person with the most beautiful energy I've experienced. So we've talked about this before at dinner. I remember asking you how you went from, like how you actually got into this work. And I find this really fascinating because you just know so much. And I wanted to just tell people how that transition happened because you told me you were working in the ER mm-hmm. at first. So if you could just share that story a little bit of like what that moment was where you, I don't know, woke up. Well, actually I was working in ER part-time to pay my rent. I was actually training in neuroscience, neuro, neurochemistry after I finished my residency in medicine, and we were studying the molecules of emotion. 
today everyone knows what they are serotonin dopamine oxytocin etc but when we were studying them it was a new discovery in fact one of the people who actually developed the technique to measure them um, rosalind yellow won the nobel prize so my interest was always how what happens in the mind or consciousness affects our biology because of this and er was very stressful too so i remember one day having intubated a patient uh, put him on a respirator put a pacemaker in and then go outside and smoke a cigarette and that was a moment uh, which was uh, life changing for me suddenly i felt deep disgust for myself <laughs> threw my cigarette away stopped drinking alcohol altogether and changed my life that's so incredible cuz i feel like a lot of people have that moment sometimes it's rock bottom for you it was just yeah seeing someone in front of you uh, you posted something on instagram today actually it was about how every ancestor we've ever had is living in every single cell of our body basically all of their trauma and experiences are living in our body and it just got me thinking so do you think that the power of the mind is so important that maybe if you could really master that the physical things we do the food we eat the thing like maybe not even exercising like if your mind was strong enough do you think that would be enough to overpower the importance of diet or are both just It's actually quite complex much more complex so right now as I'm speaking to you moving my hands looking here and there I'm activating my motor cortex for the movement and my sensory cortex to get information from the environment including from my body so in every act of experience doesn't matter what the experience is movement memory imagination thought eating breathing digestion metabolism doesn't matter what the experience is you need your brain to actually orchestrate that experience in turn the brain needs genetic activity to do that because without genetic activity you can't activate the neural networks then you say where are those genes well there are all our ancestors human and animal ancestors since the beginning of time if there was one broken chain we wouldn't be here so who are you you are all of life in this moment all of life since the beginning of time but with a particular point of view you're sitting here in this building there are other humans on this planet they're all having their own experience but they still have all of life in them so that's genetics now epigenetics is actually even more complex because epigenetics switches turn genes on and off depending on the experience you're having in the moment so right now we are speaking activating this part of our brain so genes are being activated here but you have at least 2 million genes bacterial right now in your body and 25000 human genes and they're all involved in every experience genetics means the experience of your ancestors but epigenetics also means which are more active now depending on what you need to experience So imagine this room or this building had a supercomputer somewhere out there and you were walking around this building and you went to the kitchen and then that computer would turn on 
the microwave, the oven, and all of the appliances in the kitchen. You moved out of that, you went into the bedroom, that would happen. And those switches would, in the interest of efficiency, those switches would turn off. This is complex. It involves chemicals and chemical reactions. But the point is, your body is being regulated only to one purpose, and that's called self-regulation, homeostasis, self-healing. Now, we interfere with that. We interfere with that by lack of sleep, stress, lack of exercise, etc. So, to regulate those switches and those genes, you need sleep, you need some kind of stress management technique like meditation, mindfulness, you need uh, healthy relationships, including love, compassion, joy, equanimity. You need um, a good diet. You need to balance your circadian rhythms. And it's not the mind that does this. The mind is actually the problem. There's no such thing as peace of mind because that's an oxymoron. The mind is never at peace. You have to go beyond the mind to the source of the mind. That's where yoga comes in. Yoga and mindfulness and meditation, they actually go beyond the mind to the source of the mind, what we call awareness or consciousness. And if you have access to consciousness, awareness, then you can bypass the dark alleys uh, of the mind. The mind is the problem. That, that's the, um, the I am is not the mind. The I am is the soul, which Correct. is what you say. That is the I am. I don't even know where to begin. Can I just say that listening to this now for like the second or third time, yeah. I understand it more. I almost think people should listen to this episode a few times. You have to listen. It's like that movie that you have to watch at least three times. Uh -huh. This is this episode because I hear and see different things when he's talking each time I listen to it. Your eye, I was watching you listen. I was had my eyes closed. Your eyes were closed. <laughs> yeah. You were you seemed like you were really just absorbing it and taking it in. For me, when I'm listening to something very intensely, I have to close my eyes because I get distracted by the visuals. Mm. You know, it's so fascinating because I always thought that the mind is what controls everything physiologically in your body. And I love the idea that we have to go beyond the mind. So this is what he meant by you're close to your source. Because yeah. I would always say, oh, it's a coincidence. It's a coincidence. And he's like, no, it's not that. It just means you're closer to your source. So now I know what that means. <laughs> yes, like Deepak calls it, Deepak and Chloe call them coincidence. Like, you know, when something's a coincidence, I was thinking of this and then it randomly happened. And yeah. he would always tell her, no, you're close to your source. Exactly. Because even the thoughts in your mind, where are those originating from? That's what he's talking about. It's beyond the mind. Yeah. And I thought, you and I have talked about this. We were always curious, like maybe it is just the mind. I like that there's different facets and it's such an, a true statement because we have a physical body. You can't deny that. But then mm -hmm. there's a soul inside your body. So there's so many different things. It's like, yes, we have all these genes. By the way, I love how we said we have genes from animals too. I yeah, we're about all that. we're all one. We're all from this earth. Yes. And we're all connected. And I think that's, you know, that's why he's so kind. And he, it's like, we have to be kind to everyone, all animals. We're all, every race is, we're all from the same materials. I love that. It's, it's like deep. It's very deep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just think like, yes, you have these genes that you're born with, but what turns them on and off is in your control, which is really empowering. Yeah. And it's also interesting to think about the environmental factors having an impact, of course, but 
the idea that you can overcome them. Yes. With your mind. It's powerful. It's really motivating. Yes. It's like, I love the light switch analogy. Me too. You know, that that's really the one、helps. thing. He's so good at explaining things. It's like the execution, right? Yes. Of everything he says. I'm like, oh, that's what it looks like. I think that's why I closed my eyes because I was like picturing myself going from the kitchen to the room and all the light switches turning off. Yes. And it's like such a long, thoughtful answer、yeah. to everything. Our body is a temple. Treat it like a temple. <laughs> Should we keep listening? Yeah, let's, okay, keep, let's listening. keep listening. Okay. For anyone listening to this, they might not be as familiar with epigenetics. And I think it's really fascinating. And one thing I want to clarify epigenetics, from what I understand, tells us that just because like, we might, two people might have the cancer gene, but it only gets turned on for one person. And what turns it on? Is it, is it, is that where you kind of think like you're not a victim to your genetics, that your stress has the, the ability? The common factor in all of these is what we call inflammation.、Mm. As you can see, the word inflammation means to be on fire. Inflammation.、Mm, right. Now, inflammation is also a healthy response to acute injury. If I fall down, I bruise my knee, that red that you see is inflammation. But it's protecting me, otherwise, I'd bleed to death. If you're exposed to pneumococcus, your body will have inflammation so you don't get pneumonia. Inflammation is therefore healthy. But now we have another issue, which is called chronic inflammation. It's low grade.、Mm -hmm. So, yes,、uh, epigenetics is what predisposes us to depression, anxiety, inflammation. Is the common factor. When you have trauma, the memory of trauma is anger. The desire to get even is hostility. The anticipation of trauma, again, because you didn't know how to deal with it, is called anxiety. If you blame yourself, that's called guilt, which leads to humiliation. And all of the above leads to depression. So that's the common factor depression, inflammation. Epigenetics came to attention only recently, both from lab studies, but there are now documented examples of people in the Holocaust, for example.、Uh, when there was the German Nazis that occupied Holland,、um, there was amongst the Jewish population, there was famine, starvation. The descendants of those people now have diabetes because their ancestors. Were starved, and therefore, the, the memory of starvation is now epigenetically transferred, and the body reacts to that with excessive insulin production. Wow. So that's how epigenetics works. Now, there are animal experiments where you can take a mouse, for example, and the mouse is exposed to a pleasant smell, let's say lavender, and loves the smell. But if you Give the mouse mild electrical shocks while you give the mouse the same pleasant smell, then for the next seven generations, the mice are afraid of lavender, even though they've never been shocked electrically. Now, I have a friend who's a neuroscientist in Hawaii, lives next to a cattle farm where they have,、uh, you know, these electrical wires, or they used to have electrical wires preventing the cows to move across the pasture. But that was generations ago. Now, the, the, actually, they don't even have the wires, but the, the cows are afraid to go across that threshold. Cows that have never experienced that. The cows that have never experienced the smell. 
So that's epigenetics. It's still a burgeoning field, but the fact is everybody has intergenerational trauma. It's not some people have more, some people have less, but if you have the entire history of the genome uh, in your body since the beginning of life, then you have every experience, happy experience, ecstatic experience, traumatic experiences, and it's now up to you to actually go beyond the mind to a source which is independent of all that, and that's what we call consciousness. And from there, actually decide the intention you want to have, which will orchestrate then the right activation of those switches, the genetic switches. So it's complicated. And uh, no one is free of trauma. No one is free of bliss or happiness or joy or love or compassion. We have everything in us. I think when I, I used to think of it, I knew there was intergenerational trauma, but I thought of it as more literal, like, oh, my great grandmother had anxiety. So she taught it to my grandmother who taught. I didn't think like even if there was no teaching, it's just in your cells where your mind and body changes. That is a precipitating factor. The more recent the trauma, intergenerational, yes. That is crazy. Okay. I just. It's honestly like. I like like I said I think we always assume like oh like depression runs in my family mm-hmm. like it's learned but it's actually you could have no relationship to anyone years and years like different like different great 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 grandmother but it's in your cells and not only is it like oh she had depression so I did it's like my great 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 grandmother had depression which made her eat more and now you eat more and your blood sugar it it goes so beyond it it's so crazy yeah. and I think that it's almost like feels, I almost feel relieved hearing that because certain traumas or certain feelings I have, maybe, you know, I have to work harder at them because it's in my DNA Mm. and it's not all my fault. It kind of removes that feeling of I did something wrong. It's like, you know, this is what I'm, this is what I've been giving, given from my ancestors. And, you know, I have something to work with. It just feels like almost like less pressure, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? That makes all the sense in the world. Okay, Actually, <laughs> I've done like trauma work and therapy. Oh, and okay. one of the biggest lessons or like shifts I had was not, was almost like giving myself so much compassion. I had never felt that before where I was like, oh my God, it's not my fault. Of course I experience these things. And it's okay. And it's okay. You just have to get through them the right way, the best way, the healthiest way. I think that's a really common because so my ex-boyfriend, I remember I made him go see a therapist because he wanted to get back together. And I was like, I don't trust that you actually want to make change. And when he went, um, first of all, after he went, he was like, I'm not ready. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like (laughs) backfire. Backfire. But um, thank you, God, for that because I'm very happy. Exactly. That was the universe protecting you. 100%. But when he went, he was like, he had never been to therapy in his life. And he was like, I just, it made me feel so much better because I feel like things aren't my fault. Word for word, what you said. It's deep. And and I think kind of getting rid of some of that blame on yourself, forgiving yourself, giving yourself compassion Mm -hmm. is so important to staying healthy and not being depressed and not having anxiety and just being like, it's okay. Whatever happens, it's okay. Just get through it. Do you feel like you've connected, you know how he's talking about going beyond the mind? Now it makes sense. Like It makes total sense now. Yeah. It's all coming together like the circle of life. (laughs) 
it's all, you know, it's like, it's all coming together in this moment as you and I are kind of discussing it and listening. So for you guys, anything you're learning, self-work, this, this deeper inner work, maybe you need to keep listening and talking and having conversations and it will just hit you in the right moment. Exactly. Cause you, you think of these things on the spot. Mm-hmm and conversation, this kind of dialogue that we're having, this is why we're doing what we're doing, right? Yes. Because we're still growing and we're still learning. We don't have all the answers. And having this dialogue helps answer these questions like, where am I from? It's empowering and inspiring. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep listening and hear some more. Speaking of trauma, I I really want to know your thoughts on psychedelics. I know that you, I mean, I've talked about this in your pro, but I think for everyone listening, coming from someone like you who we respect so much, you giving it the like, this can be really good for you would make a lot more people comfortable with it. So yeah, the research on psychedelics right now shows that um, psychedelics, only ketamine right now is approved by the FDA. Right. But I think we'll soon see uh, approval for psilocybin, and which is mushrooms, and also probably for... Uh, MDMA, right? Yeah. So... What they do in common is reduce inflammation. That's one thing. Mm. They also act on what are called serotonin receptors. We talked about serotonin earlier. They also decrease the activity of the neural networks which we associate with the conditioned mind. All our minds are conditioned. By yes. mind is de- by definition conditioned. By culture, by economics, by ancestral trauma history by religion. Right. What we find attractive is only because we're conditioned to it. That's it. That's it. Including food. Mm -hmm. So whatever. So the psychedelics decrease the activity of the neural networks of the conditioned mind. They also, it seems, decrease the activity of a part of our brain called the default mode network. DMN. This is the neural correlate of our ego mind. So... This is why some people have this ecstatic experience of universality because their ego disappears, at least for the duration. So I'm working in New York with a neuropsychiatrist. Her name is Geeta Bage. She's trained from Oxford. She's an MD. And we do um, selectively, we take people through psychedelic experience if they're suffering from anxiety or depression. But we're also doing this for some people with terminal illness. So my agent, my literary agent, um, recently passed away from brain cancer. I'd known her for 40 years. And uh, Gita and I sat with her a few weeks before she passed. And she had what we call terminal lucidity. She was totally clear. She even had the experience of uh, seeing people on, quote-unquote, the other side, which is, uh, you know, the dream continues. If this is a dream, that's a dream too. Yeah, right. It's equally valid. And she died almost enthusiastically when she was a few uh, weeks afterwards, she passed away. So now there's a lot of interest in what we call terminal care, depression, anxiety, and chronic inflammatory diseases as well, Parkinson's disease, etc. Alzheimer's. Uh, We do it in New York selectively under protocols. We combine meditation 
with the experience and then we we are, we are actually in the process of what is called getting an R&B which means uh, permission from investigative societies and academic institutions to continue this work and take it to the next level wow so of course if someone's doing one of these drugs recreationally, I would imagine it can cause harm in the body, but when it's done properly, yeah. it can reduce. Well, I don't recommend recreationally. Now, of course, there are many shamanic traditions where shamans do it, and they've done it for thousands of years. But even now, everybody calls themselves a shaman. Exactly. Days, so you have to be <laughs> come, very careful. Come to my apartment. <laughs> uh, we have a proper protocol. Right. We are associated with academia. And as I said, uh, my associate is a neuropsychiatrist, MD, whose lifelong work is just this. What are your thoughts on, like, I know there's psilocybin experiences where you're in a therapy session for eight hours versus microdosing. Do you, have you, what are the studies showing? Microdosing is very effective in many cases. In fact, that probably is the better way for most people right now. Uh, we have experience in that too. So should we do mushrooms? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, I'm considering microdosing after listening to that, honestly. Yeah, you know, I actually wrote my first single from my album on mushrooms. Wow. I uh, tried mushrooms during the pandemic and just like a little bit and completely hallucinated, but I wrote my first single. Wow. Which one? Flower Through Concrete. It's like one of my top streaming singles. So the reason I bring that up is because... When he said that the microdosing can kind of stop you from being so conditioned in your mind, the conditioned mind, I thought of the creative process and how as a classical artist, I'm so conditioned to a certain structure and a certain sound and a certain rhythm. So part of the reason I wanted to try the mushrooms and write music was because I wanted to remove that condition. That, that exists from my you know years of training. So from a creative aspect, it's very interesting to me, but I don't know how to microdose. That is, God, these, these conversations just like get me so excited. I find that fascinating yeah. and it makes all the sense in the world. I just found it so interesting that part about conditioning in general, mm -hmm. because I think about how like in America, we don't eat, like everyone hear me out. We don't eat dogs and cats because that is horrible and there are pets. And then in other countries where they do, we are like judging and pointing fingers. All animals are just as important as the other. Mm -hmm. So why is it, you know, why is it okay to eat a cow? It's because we've been conditioned to think that this is okay, this is food, whereas a cat and dog are pets. Yeah, it's. I think about that too because, you know, pigs are actually more intelligent than dogs. Exactly. That's what gets really hard and I kind of come back to this if, because there's like also the food chain, right? Mm -hmm. And that's life. And I feel like mm -hmm. when you're doing things consciously and thoughtfully and intentionally versus like, you know, maybe you're old, every time you eat meat, you are thankful. You say a prayer to it. You acknowledge that it's another life and you're not maybe you're ordering from farms mm -hmm. that you know are treat the animals humanely. I think there's ways to do things responsibly. I totally agree. And honestly, after listening to the first part of the podcast, mm -hmm. now knowing about generational trauma and how that is passed on through DNA, I don't want to eat a traumatized cow or a traumatized fish. So I think about that every time I'm shopping at the grocery store because, 
we have to be careful what we put into our bodies. And we're talking a lot about our mind, but also the inflammation part. I'm really interested in that. You know, I always thought of inflammation as bad, but it's actually chronic inflammation that's bad. Like like our fat cells. I always thought fat cells. I want to be, you know, healthy. I get, get rid of fat cells, but fat cells actually protect us. It's just, and you want to have healthy inflammation. So was he saying that micro-do- microdosing can reduce chronic inflammation? Yes, that's exactly what he said. Yeah, so that's really interesting because I always, you know, I've been trained and raised to think that drugs are bad. Me too. Any drug is bad. <laughs> so it's just so interesting and also very new for me to think about mushrooms or, you know, any kind of drug as therapeutic. But then we have the pharmacy. So it's like, no offense to your career. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> I left that career for a reason. <laughs> I think mu- I've learned, I don't know if you watched the mushroom documentary on, it's like Fantastic Fungi. Mm-hmm. And I feel like mushrooms physically are anti-inflammatory. But then I also, do you feel like what he's referring to as anti-inflammatory is because they're changing the way your mind thinks? So really it goes back to your mind. Like yeah. your thoughts will reduce inflammation. Because he went through the process. It's like the, you know, the mind inflammation comes from like depression, which is the yes, result of all cycle. that whole cycle. I have to go back and listen to that again. I know. I'm going to go back and take more notes. <laughs> <laughs> this is so good. Okay, now that we've segued, let's keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about past lives because uh, this is something me and Chloe, I wish she was here for this part. We've dove into this topic a lot the last six months. So, do you think everybody could benefit from past life regression therapy? Because there could be traumas we don't even know like why they exist. It's a very complex question because it has to do with identity. So, you know, when you say, ask yourself, who am I? You realize that's a very difficult question to answer because what we call an individual is actually the localization of a matrix of genetic activity which involves everybody. So you do have the memory of other lifetimes, but who's the you? What is the person? So in the deeper reality, if you look very carefully, there's no such thing as a person. The person is the localization of the collective. All the cells and all the memories? Yeah. yeah. So now some are more, more dominant, and those are the ones that are linked to intense emotions. So everyone remembers 9-11. If you're old enough, everyone remembers traumatic memories, but also ecstatic memories, falling in love, your first kiss, etc., etc. But who is having those experiences? That's the complex thing. What we call a person is the localization of collective memory. Therefore, collective memory is recycling and evolving as that which we call a person. And so, yes, uh, past life regression can help the identity that we are temporarily calling a person if the trauma is a recent past, okay? But if you're thinking of trauma, it's been going on since forever. Middle Ages, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great. (laughs) So all of that is still there in our genes, you know? Right. 
you hear of people like having a fear of water and then they do past life regression therapy and realize that they drowned in a past life. Yeah. And then they don't have well, a fear anymore. Listen, as long as it's real for them, it's real. Right. Like this is real for most people. It's not real for me. I can see it as a lucid dream in a vivid now. So, you know, once you can lose, see the dream for what it's worth, you know it's, it's a dream. So yeah, you don't take it seriously. I think sometimes we think of, when am I going to be fully healed? When am I done? When am I there? Is it always moments of slipping back? When the Buddha was dying, you know, his favorite disciple, Ananda, said, who are you? Are you a prophet? Are you God? Are you a messiah? Are you an angel? Are you a messenger? He said, no. He said something very interesting. This lifetime of ours is transient as autumn clouds. To watch the birth and death of beings is like looking at the movements of a dance. A lifetime is like a flash of lightning in the sky, rushing by like a torrent down a steep mountain. So Ananda said, but you haven't answered my question. Who are you? And the Buddha said, I'm awake. Wow. And that's the meaning of the word the Buddha, to be awake. And that is the goal of existence, ultimately. Anytime I've been around your presence and even friends or family I know that have been around, you just radiate this light, happiness, bliss, I would say. And almost just you give a calming aura to those around you. So I think we're all like, what is he doing? I want to be on that path. Because I wonder, do you ever, like when people get physical ailments, when they get fearful, like let's say they're diagnosed with something, when you're in this state, do you not fear it? No, that's not part of your life experience. Now, remember, I'm also 76. So it's been a lifetime. (laughs) Although biologically, I think I'm much younger. Wow. So your new book, I'm almost all the way through it. And people want to know where to start. And I'm not even asking for the short answer, like, oh, do this 10-minute meditation. Do you think that this book, because you've written so many, do you think this last one is actually the best way to start and to get into this work? Yes, I think this is the best uh, way because it takes you through emotions and social interactions before it takes you into the yoga practice. The yoga practice is very useful, but then it goes beyond that into the other uh, limbs of yoga. I'm writing a book right now on, called Quantum Body, and then I am going to write a book about my personal story of waking up. So that'll be the next book. Oh, I can't wait for that one. It'll be called Awakenings, uh, My Story. Yeah, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mona. I always wondered why I'm scared of heights because I've never fallen from anywhere high. And now I know why. (laughs) epigenetics, past lives. <laughs> yes. um, and I, ha- you know, it was really interesting. And in his new book, he kind of talks about how we have three different bodies, right? The subtle body, the casual body, the physical body. And, and in the subtle and casual bodies, we experience these dreams. And I remember I used to have dreams all the time when I was little, like nightmares of being drowned, like drowning. And I found out much later that my mother is afraid to swim and it's because she almost drowned in a pool. So I wonder now, you know, I'm just thinking of this right now in this moment, but I wonder that must be what we're talking about right Mm -hmm. now. You know, the generational trauma that was passed directly down to me. I had these reoccurring dreams of being like drowning in a swimming pool. 
And, you know, for anyone listening who's like, okay, this is a little woo-woo. I sound crazy. <laughs> it, but, like, what what other logical explanation is there for one per- – like, let's say siblings have the same exact parents, same upbringing. Why is one person deathly afraid of heights and one person isn't? This stuff is real. Yeah, like my sister's not afraid of heights at all. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about your trauma. Yes, I ha- I mean, I have certain fears that I'm like, I'm like afraid of being kidnapped or taken as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. And I, I have like, none of, I work in anti-human trafficking yes. and I have no fears of being kidnapped. Wait, you guys, so Chloe works in anti-human trafficking and she's always, you, you've tried to involve me and just tell me, you've, you've really opened my eyes to it. And I've shared with you, it scares me so much that I almost can't read it. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I so scared of this? Is there something I experienced in a past life? Like, it just doesn't really make sense. So, like, are you saying that past lives are our our ancestors? Are our, no. Our ancestors are our past lives or past lives could – I could have been a – like um, a, a leaf. Corgi. Why are we obsessed with leaves? I could have been a leaf. <laughs> you were a corgi. Remember? I was a corgi. I was Queen Elizabeth's corgi one, or Coco Chanel. <laughs> there is, there's two things you're referring to right now. Epigenetics. It, well, epigenetics is the ability to turn our genes on and off. Our genetics are all of our ancestors. So that's like your mom's 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 mom. Past lives are is like your soul in a different body. So like they say that you travel in different lives with the same people. So I could have been your aunt in a past mm. life. Yeah, I, I think Sanaa's like my sister. I yes. honestly feel like she's my Asian sister. Exactly. You never know. Erica, there's like a, a psychic told Erica that she was mine and Nima's mom. Be- and it's like, we have such a bond, the three of us, mm-hmm. and it really makes sense. It's yeah. really interesting. She's very protective of Nima. Very protective of Nima. Like yeah. more than me. It's honestly, it's so endearing. <laughs> yeah, like, it's She really has sweet. his back so hard. Yeah. I love it. When I asked Deepak, I think I brought up past lives, and my first question was like, is it re- do you believe it's real? And it was almost just like, that's not even a question. Of course, that was like, okay, let's move beyond that. We know it's real. There are facts that it's real. Now let's talk about the details of it. Yeah. And the part about the cows, uh, he told me about this at brunch and I was just completely blown away. Like, oh my gosh, it just put everything into perspective. It's like these baby cows who have never seen a barbed wire fence are terrified. How? How? That was my, I think I've told that story like five times since the interview <laughs> because I, again, for me, I was like, guys, this is amazing. Like this could be, you know what it is? Because things like that prove it. Yeah. You and I want to see the evidence, right? I think mm. we get excited when it's proven. We're very data driven over here. We are. <laughs> we're like, yes, yeah, see, it's real. This yeah. is real. Then I get excited. Yeah. And it's hard. I think, you know, for, for my family, who's not quote unquote spiritual in that same way, it's hard when you don't have like tangible evidence. Uh, but, you know, I always say, do you love me? Prove it. How can you prove it? How? You can't really, right? Like you could say, why well, I, I take care of you. Well, you could be faking it. You could be speaking. I love you. You could be lying. So there's no real way to prove it. But does that mean it doesn't exist? This is like, if, if anyone listened to our last episode with my brother Nima, when he made the joke about leaves just being botany, this is, I, every time I like find an example like this where there's proof, he's the first person I think of. I can't wait to tell Nima this story because now he's going to believe it, <laughs> right? I just wish that it, this podcast was 17 hours long. Honestly, I'm like, this topic has gotten me the most excited of all of them. I think we both are like, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, <laughs> so much to cover. You know, it's like, listen again, listen again. That's it for today's episode. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Make sure you follow Core Self on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Mona Van and at Miss Chloe Flower. See you next week. Bye. Bye.